God, thank you so much for revealing yourself in so many different ways. Uh, Thank you, God, that all of creation speaks to your existence and your love and goodness and creativity. Thank you for revealing yourself in your son, Jesus, in the love that that you showed us and in dying for us and being made like us and bringing us close to you. Thank you for revealing yourself here in this word that we're going to be reading. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work as we read these stories, as uh, we get into these pages of scripture. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring life, you would bring revelation, and that you would uh, bring transformation even to us as we, as we see you lifted up here. We don't just want to read words on the page, but we want to see you lifted up, glorified. And God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. And we welcome you into this moment and into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the Gospel of Mark, if you have your Bibles, that's exactly where we're going to start. There's four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life, who he was, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. I spent some time last week uh, setting the groundwork a little bit for why we're doing this and why specifically Mark. So I don't want to go too deep into it, but just to give you the cliff notes from last week and catch you up, I want us as a church to spend some time, like truly, we're going to be here a while, just going through the gospel of Mark, looking at Jesus. Jesus, he told his disciples once that uh, once I'm lifted up, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. And so there's a beautiful thing about, you know, we could talk uh, about different topics of scripture. We could talk about different ideas and things that I think would be beneficial and valuable to us. But I think there's so much value in simply looking at the life and the stories of Jesus Christ, seeing him lifted up, seeing him exalted, beholding what his life is, and letting him in that process draw us close to him. Because more than any good idea, more than talking about how to spend your money or whatever, how to raise a good family, more than any kind of concept that we could draw from Scripture, what you need and what I need is to be close, to be near our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, he said that uh, if we would seek him, if we would seek his kingdom, that all those other things would be added to us, that all those other things would be taken care of and would, would fall in place. So our priority, the the first thing that we need to be looking to is to being close to Jesus, being near him, looking to him. And so that's the whole purpose of this. We're going through this gospel because we want to see Jesus lifted up and we want to get close to who that is. We want our lives to be modeled after, to look like who he is. We want to be amazed and awestruck by the things he's done and just how he has lived his life, who he is in front of us. So, so that's why we're just going to the gospel. And we're going specifically to the gospel of Mark, not Luke, not Matthew, not John. One, because it's the shortest one, okay? So cards on the table, we can make it through this faster if we go through Mark. And then two, this, the way he writes is action-packed. He says immediately, over and over and over again. We'll even see it come up here in the story we're about to read. He'll 
be telling the story, and immediately they went and did this, and immediately this happened. So it's like an action-packed Sylvester Stallone version of the Gospels that like something's always happening, something's uh, always engaging. So I really like that about Mark. Um, anyway, the, that's why. We're getting into Jesus' life, and we're doing it through uh, the Gospel of Mark here. So is that enough of a setup for everyone that we can go ahead and get into the Word? Good. I, I figured y'all would be cool with that. So we're starting this morning uh, in verse 9. I'm just going to go ahead and read these words, and then we'll come back through it a little bit slowly together. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. This is what it says. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is a story that we're going to get into this morning. As we kind of rewind a little bit, come back through these scriptures, uh, I, want to, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone ever felt like uh, you were talking to someone, like you were hearing from someone, uh, maybe trying to connect with you, whatever, and you just felt like this person just doesn't get it? This person just doesn't understand what I'm going through. Uh, I think each and every one of us has probably had that feeling to some degree on some level, like they're talking, they're, they're saying, oh, yeah, 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 I, I felt just like that. I'm, I've experienced exactly what you've experienced. And you can tell like, no, you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't know exactly what, what I'm going through or what I've experienced. The, the best example that I could come up with that I've seen kind of... Uh, in popular culture lately is um, some celebrities, like whenever, whenever COVID first started ramping up and you know there's people losing their jobs and uh, people unable to connect with family members, people losing their lives, all these different things. And I remember seeing uh, celebrities on social media or whatever talking about how hard it is to like, you know, be on their ranch in Wyoming with their kids and like on all these like sprawling acres with, you know, everything taken care of and like, oh man, this is so hard, this is so difficult. Or I remember seeing one celebrity who like uh, went to some private island to have a party that like, oh, it was so difficult and now we're finally able to get together. COVID has been so hard on us. And I remember thinking like, you don't get it. <laughs> you do not know what I'm going through right now. You do not understand uh, and I don't want to discount people, you know, celebrities have it hard too, it, you know, everybody suffers, whatever. But on some level, I remember seeing those things and thinking like, this pandemic that we're experiencing, you are experiencing quite differently. Like there's a, just a drastic difference in what you're going through and what I'm going through. You just don't get it. And I, I think, you know, obviously that's a drastic uh, difference there. But even 
even just the people that we spend our lives with, you know, ultimately, you're the only one who knows your experience as much as you know it. Uh, you can connect with other people. People can experience similar things, but ultimately, you know what you're going through. I know what I'm going through. And we can try to connect and understand, but we run into times often where you just don't get it. You're just not understood, just not getting it the way that I'm feeling this and I'm experiencing this. The reason why I try to set that up a little bit and talk about that feeling of you just don't get it is whenever we think about the God of the universe. Here we are, we're in chapter 1 still of the Gospel of Mark. And verse 1 says that this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what Mark is trying to talk to us about is who the Son of God is, what the Son of God is like, and in so doing, saying who God is, what God is like. And one of these first things, one of the first stories that we get of him talking about the God of the universe is not some big, awesome miracle, which is great. We'll get to those later. It's not some big superhero story of how big and powerful and great Jesus is. We'll get to that. But the first story that we see is one, this, what we talked about last week, John the Baptist, out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, telling people, repent, be baptized, repent of your sin, come be cleansed in the water, and come up because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said, hey, there's someone coming after me that I am too little to even be in the same room as. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his shoes. The guy who's coming after me is so big, so powerful. And it's this, that we get the first, the first story of Jesus' ministry, and it's him coming and being baptized by this guy who said, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. I'm not worthy. I'm not a big enough deal. I'm not holy enough. I'm not clean enough that I should baptize you. And Jesus comes to this man, John the Baptist, the God of the universe, comes to this man and receives baptism. He gets dunked in the water anyway. Jesus, if you don't know this, lived a perfect life. Jesus was without sin. He didn't sin. He didn't fail. He didn't fall. There was nothing in him, in himself personally, there was nothing in himself personally that needed to repent. I mean, can we get an amen? Jesus didn't need to repent of anything. Jesus, he didn't have to say, I'm sorry for anything. He didn't have to turn and change his thinking. He was right. He was holy. He was pure. He was Perfect. So there's nothing that he needed to repent of. But how cool that this first story that we get of Jesus in his baptism is this connection of, okay, who is God? How can we think of God? And this whole idea that we just talked about of you just don't get it, whether it's about a celebrity, somebody has a whole bunch of money, somebody who lives in a much different place or environment, whatever, you just don't get it, you don't know what I'm going through. Jesus, first and foremost, in this baptism experience, made it so that we cannot say that about God. We can't say, God, you don't get it. God, you don't understand. God, you don't know what I'm going through. 
what is so cool in, in this baptism, it's reflective of Jesus' entire life, the fact that he became human, the fact that he became one of us, made in our likeness to, to live among us, to have the same temptations, the same difficulties, the same frustrations that we experience. There's no way that we can say of God, you just don't get it. Even though he was perfect, again, baptism, it's, the word means plunged, like to be dunked submerged. So not only did Jesus, Jesus didn't just come and pretend to be like a man. He wasn't just like all the time, never had any struggles, never had any issues, and was just faking it the whole time. He, God, plunged himself, dunked himself, submerged completely into our experience. He completely became a human. He completely put himself in, uh, submerged in our experience. That there's no frustration, there's no temptation, there's no difficulty, there's no amount of sadness or grief, there's no feeling of loss that Jesus can't connect with you on. That the God of the universe doesn't understand, not just here, but intimately in his being of human with you, that he gets what you're going through. So first and foremost, before we see any big miracles from Jesus, we see that what he wants to say is that God gets it. God gets you. God understands you. I'm probably going to butcher this saying, but I've heard a saying from somebody who's smart that says, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Actually, I think I got it right. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So first and foremost, before Jesus comes and does anything big, before he shares any of this wisdom, he comes and says, hey, look, you in your broken, messed up nature and the struggles that you're going through, I'm right here with you. Very first thing in signified in baptism is he came and said, look, I'm right here with you. God stooping down on our level, stooping down to be with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He's right there with us. So very first thing from this baptism is that Jesus is coming right there with us. And what's awesome is it's not just that. Verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you, I am well pleased. With you, I'm well pleased. So there's this beautiful thing that right here in one story, we're seeing God plunged into our humanity, plunged into our situation, Jesus being fully, completely human. Fully, completely human. But then at the same time, as he's coming up out of the water, this affirmation from God himself, the Father, and the Spirit descending on him like a like a dove, saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And to be called the son of God is, again, also to be called God. So Jesus, all in the same moment, we see him plunged into our humanity to be fully human, but at the same time, fully, completely God as well. This is one of those great mysteries that we believe as Christians. If you didn't know this, Christians, we believe some pretty crazy stuff. 
okay? It's easy to point out other people's crazy things that they believe, but when you stop and look at it yourself, uh, we, we believe some pretty outlandish claims. doesn't make them false. They're true claims, but according to the world's standards, just looking with physical eyes, that's what faith is. It seems outlandish. It seems like it would be crazy. We believe that Jesus is 100% fully human being in uh, just right there with us, plunged into our humanity, and at the same time, fully 100% absolutely God at the same time. If anybody can do the math on that, y'all help me out after service. It's, it's one of those mysteries of our faith, but it's, it's absolutely true. And we see it right here at the very beginning in this baptism moment that he is 100% right there with us in, in human flesh, but he's also at the same time 100% fully God. He, in connecting with us in, in baptism, in this repentance that he you know, personally didn't even need to do, not because of sin, but he did something that, that if someone was just God, they couldn't do. If someone was just God, they couldn't connect with us. They couldn't stoop to our level and say, I get it. I'm with you. I know what you're going through. I'm right there with you. And if somebody was just human, not God, then they couldn't come up out of the water and God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He did right here in the same exact moment that something that you couldn't do if it's only God and you couldn't do if you're only a human being. But Jesus, there he is, our king, the son of God, right there doing it for us, doing it with us. I want to read before, uh, before we continue uh, here in Mark. Sorry, I'm going to mark my place there. Yeah, okay, Mark. I am marking my place in Mark. But before we keep going, I want to read this uh, in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 15 and 16, this Jesus, what, what he does here, becoming fully human, it means that we can trust him. We can trust God that, again, just like this celebrity that's off doing their own thing, private islands, man, COVID is so hard. No, God is not like that. God is not this off aloof, like, oh man, humanity must be a difficult thing, and then ask you to do things that you can't do. No, G God revealing, G Jesus revealing God came was 100% in our situation, in our humanity. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus, your high priest, the one who represents you, who represents God to you, he, he is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Thank you, Jesus. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, Jesus. We have a high priest who in every single way is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I know you could look at your life right now and say, yeah, I get it. I'm weak. I mess up. I fail. I fall. I have frailty. I don't get it right all the time. Well, Jesus, he's able to sympathize with every single bit of that. He can sympathize with that weakness. He can sympathize without frailty, yet without sin. All of that sympathizing, all of that ability to understand, yet at the same time, he did what you couldn't do. He did what I couldn't do. 
He lived perfectly still, even sympathizing with that weakness. And it's because of that, this, that's the beautiful thing, it's because of that that we can draw near to God's throne of grace with confidence, knowing that he's going to pour out his mercy, knowing that we're going to be able to find grace and strength in time of need because our good God and high priest Jesus, he came and did that for us. It's a beautiful thing, and we see it here in his baptism that he, he plunges himself right there in the middle of it with us. He's in the fight with us. Right there with us, yet without sin. Still perfect, still God. And so from here, we're going to continue. We're going to continue in this, uh, this story. So picking up, okay, yeah, the voice came from heaven. You're my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Another mystery that we see in this, by the way, is the mystery of the Trinity. Again, this is the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Where, uh, if he's telling the story of who God is revealed to us, we're getting early hints at who is this God? What is he like? And right here, even just in the baptism, Jesus, God the Son, rising up out of the water, and then a, the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. We see God, the Holy Spirit. And then this voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, God the Father. Speaking right here in this moment, the very beginning of his ministry, we see a triune God. Again, talking mysteries here. We serve a God who is one God. One God, yet at the same time, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct, yet one mysteries, but right here present, right here present in the baptism. So here's what we see then from there. You're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. This awesome kind of almost like coronation beginning of Jesus's ministry. He's baptized. He comes up. What would the people have been thinking as Jesus comes up out of the water, John had said, hey, one's going to be coming after me who's way bigger, better than me. He comes up out of the water, and then the heavens are torn open. Y'all, I don't know what exactly the heavens torn open looks like, but I bet it's nuts. I bet it is a spectacle. I bet that if we're seeing that right now, we would all just be in awe and wonder of what does this look like? What is this? The heavens torn open, the spirit descending on Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven. I'm sure it was booming. I'm sure it was loud. I'm sure it was crazy saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Y'all, this was a big, dramatic moment. And right there from that dramatic moment, Immediately, Mark says, immediately the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Drove Jesus out into the wilderness. I would have been looking for something cooler at that point. Oh, the, the heavens are torn open, big, loud, booming voice. Jesus, what are you going to do? I'm going out to the wilderness. I'm going to be by myself. Goes out into the wilderness, and it says, uh, as he was in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by Satan... And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So there's a few things that I, uh, or a couple things I want to bring out from this. That Jesus, Mark uses the word immediately for a purpose, for a reason. He wants to connect the stories that we're seeing. 
So, you know, in reading your Bible, because we have, you know, like the chapter markers and some, some Bibles have the headings where it's like, okay, there's different things going on here. There's that thing over there. And even if it was right next to it, now this is a whole different story. Well, Mark uses the word immediately to say these things are connected. This is very connected. So Jesus' baptism, he comes up out of the water and immediately. So this is one story. Immediately, the Spirit of God drove Jesus out into the wilderness for this time of being tempted by Satan, being with wild animals while the angels are ministering to him. Immediately, this happens, so there's this connection. Two things that I really stuck out to me, really speak to me as we see this. So as Jesus is going out into the wilderness, this is a part of him starting the ministry. So the fact that he was out there 40 days, it correlates even with the Old Testament of the people of Israel because of their sin, because of their unbelief. They couldn't enter the promised land that God had promised for them, and they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. So Jesus, almost again, becoming like us, being right there with us in our struggle. He connects even with this struggle that God's people have gone through of feeling in the wilderness, feeling like they're spinning their wheels, going around the same mountain over and over and over again, and never reaching that place of satisfaction that God had promised them. Anybody else feel like they can connect with the people of Israel in that regard? Ever feel like you're just spinning your wheels, you're just going around and round, over and over, never actually getting to that place of satisfaction. Well, Jesus connects with that. He goes out into this place of temptation for uh, 40 days, 40 nights. So, so there's this connection, but before he even goes out and starts doing that, I want to connect the fact that first, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes out and starts doing the work of the ministry. I think it's very important. This is a subtle thing, but I think it's so important to draw this out a little bit. That Jesus had this affirmation of his identity before he went and started doing the activity of ministry. So another very short, simple way that you could say this is that You be before you do. First and foremost, before Jesus went out and did anything, there was this voice spoken over him. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And it's so important that that was spoken before Jesus went out and started his ministry, even in the the wilderness of temptation and overcoming that and all of his miracles and all these big things. God didn't wait until after Jesus died on the cross to say, now you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The father spoke those words over Jesus before he started anything. And Jesus received those words from the father before he did anything. His identity as God's beloved son in whom he's well pleased started and had to be the initial thing before he went out and did any activity. Why is this important? Why why parse these things out so meticulously? Well, think about yourself. Think about how much you try to do to gain approval, to gain acceptance, to be good enough, to be strong enough, maybe to try to prove yourself here in the church, maybe to try to prove yourself in your family, to try to prove yourself out in the community. 
we in our society, we start with the do. And if you do enough, if you make enough, if you're useful enough, well, then you can belong. Well, then you can be a part of this. One of the first things we ask people when we meet them, hey, Harry, what's your name? What do you do? What's your job? What's your purpose? <laughs> what are you doing? I, I got to make sure that you're not just, you know, a stain on society, right? No, that's not what we're saying whenever we say that. But we do initially go to, well, what do you do? What's your job? And God gave us a job, and it's important even whenever he created humanity. He gave them a job to do in the garden. Work is so good, something to be thankful for, and it's such a beautiful thing. But again, we don't need to get things switched around. We don't need to reverse things too much because even before the job that we're doing, before the do, before the activity of our lives, we need to first and foremost be secure in this foundation of who we are even before that. I am, amen, I am a child of God. I am a beloved son of the Most High God. Not because I'm a preacher here. Not because I've done a really good job at anything. Not because I, I didn't sin yesterday. Not because I read my Bible enough. All those things are good. The activity is good. But first and foremost, I have to know that I'm a beloved child of God simply because of what Jesus has done. Simply because of who God is. Because he looks at me and sees me that way. Because he loves me like that. And because I know that that's who I am, because I can be before I go do, then that brings life to all the things I can do. If I'm up here preaching, I could preach a really, really good sermon. I could say all the right things in all the right ways. But if I don't do it from a place of knowing how much God loves me, knowing who he's made me to be, knowing how loved I am, of the Father, then good as it is, all the right words, whatever, I'm going to feel empty because I'm trying to prove something to you, to myself, to God. I'm going to be trying to go earn whatever it is that my heart's looking for and seeking after. But you know what else? I could preach the worst sermon. I could get all the points wrong. I could fumble over my words. I could say the, the wrong thing. And if I know God loves me, if I know who I am, Y'all, we can fix a bad sermon. Next week, I'll preach a better one, okay? Like, we can figure out those activity things, the do. We can figure that out along the way. There's grace for that, again. But if I can at least know who I am in God, man, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. So for each and every one of us, just like Jesus, before he went out and did anything, he was first. He was loved of God. You need to know that. I don't know what kind of sin you brought in this morning, I'm sure it's pretty similar to mine. I don't know what kind of, you know, mess ups you're involved in or how much you've failed in life. Whatever it is, I'm telling you, God loves you. God cares about you. God has called you a child of himself. <laughs> He's welcomed you into his family and there's no strings attached other than there ain't no way to do it but through Jesus Christ. We'll get to that later. Jesus is the only way, but other than that, you're a beloved child of the Most High God. And so go and do. Go minister in the community. Go share the love of God with your family. Go reach out to people. Go do all those things, but don't do that to try to prove anything. Do that because you know God loves you and you're just sharing what He's already given to you freely. So again, 
Jesus' identity was affirmed before his activity. Another thing that I really want to highlight from this is that the Spirit of God drove him out into the wilderness. Immediately, Jesus got drove by the Spirit. God's Spirit drove him out to the wilderness. And it says even there, yeah, he was with the wild animals. The angels were ministering to him. I want to affirm this, that being in the wilderness does not mean that God is not with you and that he doesn't care about you. Every single one of us experience wilderness seasons, wilderness moments in our life. And if you're wondering what the wilderness is, it's, I mean, literally, it's a place of dryness. It's a place where there's no people, there's no provision, there's, uh, it's hard, it's difficult, it's not like useful for sustaining life. It's a difficult place. And so if you want to take that back to like, okay, what is a wilderness in my life? It could be this place where you feel like God is far off. It could be a place where you feel like you don't have the money that you need to survive. It could be a place where you feel like you don't have the friends, the relationships, the resources, you don't have the connection, whatever, a place of just struggle, a place of difficulty, pain, and hardship. And I want to tell you that being in a place of difficulty, pain, and hardship does not mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that God's not there. It could mean quite the opposite. For Jesus, the Spirit drove him to the wilderness. The fact that he was in the wilderness was proof that he was right where God was and wanted him to be. Now, I'll tell you, we get ourselves in some messed up situations just on our own stupidity sometimes. I'm not saying if you're going through a hard thing, say, oh, well, God just did this. No, you made a dumb choice. (laughs) Sometimes that is the case, all right? Uh, Sometimes you made a dumb choice. But sometimes being in a wilderness, being in a place of it feels like dry, it's hard, it's difficult, that could be right where God has brought you to to show you his provision in the middle of it so that you can rely on his strength more than your own. You know, uh, God spoke to the, the Apostle Paul so many times that he was like, he had this thorn in his flesh. God, take this from me. Take this from me. Help me out with this. And God said, no, I want my strength and my grace to be made perfect in your weakness, to be shown up in your weakness. If you got weaknesses in your life, if you got some desert in your life, if you got some pain and hardship, give God some thanks for his grace to get you through it. Because he's going to get you through it. And whenever he does, you're not going to be the one that looks really cool. Like you got yourself through something awesome. It's going to be obvious that there ain't no other way that you made it through this thing other than that God really showed up. And God really showed himself to be strong. And that's a beautiful thing. So being in the wilderness is not proof that God's not with you. It's not proof that God doesn't care about you. Sometimes it's proof that he does and he is with you. We can trust him in it. So I want to go now to Philippians. This is another, um, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 2, and this is kind of, we're going to land the plane here. Because again, the, one of these first stories that we get of Jesus, before any big, powerful, miraculous thing, we see him getting plunged into our humanity rising up his identity as God's one and only son, affirmed right there in the sight of everybody, and then straight to the wilderness. It's not a very awesome, flashy 
start to the ministry, right? To be plunged into our humanity, to be gone into the wilderness for this time of tempting. But this is what we get as some of our first stories of, again, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is who we're looking to. This is our God. And so I want... Um, I want to just kind of land the plane here. This is how the Apostle Paul, he encouraged the church that he's writing to, to, almost, to see what's going on here. This is the Jesus that we're following. This is the God who we're following. And he, he even said, okay, we need to model this as well. So in, in Philippians 2, I'm going to start in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What Jesus does in this baptism moment is he foreshadows what the rest of his life is going to look like. This, at the very same time, being plunged into our frailty and humanity and our weakness. And we see it whenever he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, bleeding, uh, sweating blood in distress over what he's about to do. We see it whenever he washes his disciples' feet and is a servant to them. We see it whenever he dies on a cross for the sake of our sins. We see him being plunged 100% fully into our experience. And at the same time, ironically, we see Jesus exalted in that very same kind of moment. That Jesus, whenever he spoke, people listened to him because he spoke with authority. And just as much as he was serving, people were following him because of it. And just as much as he died on a cross, that made a way for him to be risen again and to be given the name that is above every other name. The person that we're serving, Jesus, the Son of God revealed, is absolutely humble, meek, low in spirit, right there with us, and at the same time, because of those same exact reasons, exalted above every other name on earth, exalted above every, every other thing, every other person. And so if we want to be followers of Jesus, just like the Apostle Paul here encourages the, the church that he's writing to, if we want to be followers of Jesus, we need to have that same mind among ourselves, that same mind of humility, knowing that if we'll follow Jesus in his suffering, if we'll follow Jesus in his humility and in his lowliness and in his servanthood, if we'll follow him there, then we'll also be exalted with him will also be raised with him, will also experience the fullness of life that only he can offer. That's the God that we're serving. That's the God that we're looking to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for being made like us. Thank you, God, that you can relate to us, that you get it. You know what we're going through.
And Lord, not only do you get it and know what we're going through, you also are the answer. You're the, the strength, you're the grace that we need to get not just where we are, but to where you are. So thank you, Lord, for pulling us close to you, drawing us near to you. Thank you just as that voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Thank you, God, that because of Jesus, you pour out your pleasure on us. You pour out your love and your closeness and intimacy to us. Lord, help us to follow you. God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us in this room grace and strength to follow you in humility, follow you in servanthood, follow you in putting our lives down for your sake. And Lord, as we do that, I thank you for giving us grace. Thank you for exalting us. Thank you for lifting us high to be near where you are and to be like you. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your goodness. And I pray that you would direct each and every one of our hearts into your love and into your steadfastness, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it in your name. Amen.